Welcome to Improv Interviews with Margot Escott, a psychotherapist in Naples, Florida, who is using her 35 years of experience to develop improvisation programs, benefiting and improving the lives of those with emotional and physical challenges. Improv Interviews brings together the world's leading improvisational theater masters, founders, and innovators who are using improvisation therapeutically in unique and surprising ways. With great guests that include legends like Ed Asner and Aretha Sills, you're sure to learn something new about improvisation. This is Improv Interviews with your host, Margot Escott. Well, today I have a wonderful guest that I was actually able to meet in person when I went out to Los Angeles over New Year's. Her name is Michelle Gilliam, and she's an improviser's improviser. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Marco. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited, too, because I've been wanting to do this for a long time, and here we are. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> finally did it. So um, tell me about yourself. I always like to go, since I'm a therapist, go back into the childhood. I've met your dad, but tell me about your family and where you were growing up and about your early childhood. Sure. So I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or just a little suburb just outside until I was like seven or eight. And then we moved to Milwaukee proper. Um, let's see. I have a sister that's 10 years older than I am. And I have a brother that's about a year and a half older. He's uh, 16 months older than I am. And um, my parents have been married. They just had their 52nd wedding anniversary. Wow. <laughs> yes. Um, and both of their parents were married for over 70 years. Wow. Um, yeah. So pretty neat. My dad grew up in a town called Crane, Indiana. Um, and my mom grew up in South Bend, Indiana. But they met in Bloomington uh, by that time. Uh, my uh, my uh, dad's parents had moved to Bloomington, Indiana, and my uh, my mom had gone down to school. So they, my parents met at IU. And oh, that's where my dad went. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. <Hoosiers. laughs> um, they actually had a, my parent. My dad had a dog named Hoosier. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, and it's very interesting because um, I find it like a little fascinating when I think about myself too. Like my dad's family was, um, you know, a little well off and my mom's family is very working class. And then, so you have these two that come together and then we were like middle-class, you know, to lower middle-class. And, uh, it was just an interesting experience just going from family to family. And I could see those different dynamics, you know, even as a child and how it felt. Um, but yeah, and also when I moved to Milwaukee proper, I know I'm skipping around here a little bit, sorry, but like, it was a little bit of culture shock for me, um, because I had gone from basically an all white environment in school and like the kids around me, uh, even in my neighborhood to an almost all black environment. And so I learned things about the black experience that I didn't know before. Uh, so for example, oh, we also weren't raised in the church, um, because my parents wanted us to make our own decisions about, um, religion and beautiful spiritually about things. We asked them any questions that we wanted. They would tell us how they believe, but they definitely encouraged us to believe how we wanted. And so when I started at my new school <laughs> in Milwaukee, one of the first questions that, you know, black children would ask was, uh, what church do you go to? <laughs> and then I learned very quickly, you don't tell a, another black child that you do not go to church <laughs> because they immediately think you're the devil. Um, <laughs> I was like, I just didn't understand the, the, the culture around church and the black church and things like that. Um, my mom and my dad had felt it was kind of forced down their throat, especially my mom, mm -hmm. um, my dad just kind of didn't agree with the principles of certain things and how things were taught. And so they both had done a lot of exploration and my parents are both very spiritual. Um, and uh, when my, I was 11, my dad started to go back to church and, but it was a very like, it was a unity church. <laughs> um, and so I absolutely loved it. I was the meditation captain. <laughs> and um, so I still meditate every day to this day. Uh, and it just was such a huge part of my life. And 
you know, I just, I'm very grateful to my parents for those experiences. And yeah, I can tell you much wow. more. But <laughs> so what is, what is your definition of spiritual? Um, just that you kind of find your own way and what works for you. Um, I feel like sometimes religion um, forces you to believe or asks you in a very strong way to believe whatever is laid out in that particular religion. But spiritually, you find your own way and what works for you and helps you get through what you want. That's kind of the way that I look at it. Um, yeah, and for me, in particular, it's uh, I just believe that the universe has got your back. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a great idea to have about the universe. I love that. I love that. So what other things did you learn when you started going and understanding the black culture, which had been different from the culture you were in? Well, I mean, obviously, my culture was still the black culture, but it wasn't like <laughs> the mainstream, I guess. Another thing that I learned was that labels were important. Um, people wanted, uh, you needed to have like the latest, like uh, clothing and things like that. Whereas we shopped at Target and Walmart, uh -huh. you know, uh -huh. and, not, and not Gucci and, you know, Prada and things like that, which nothing wrong to me with either, but I didn't care about spending hundreds or thousands of dollars on um, you know, Nike shoes or Air Jordans and things like that. Those were not the priorities in my household and they've never been a priority for me. Um, and I just found that fascinating. And again, nothing wrong, but it just was like, whoa, a lot of labels, a lot of importance placed on that. Yeah, yeah. So going back into, you know, your early years in, in great elementary school, even before you got to high school, what were you interested in back then? And okay, it's a two part question. And did your sister play any influence in your interests? Um, so I was interested in I loved playing with dolls. Um, I loved uh, watching Sesame Street. <laughs> um, I loved just like following my mom around the house. Uh, my sister it's interesting relationship that I have with my sister. I literally feel like um, I chose to do the opposite of everything that my sister did. Um, <laughs> even though, even though I really like, I looked up to her, I looked up to my brother, but my sister and I have always had a very tumultuous relationship. Um, you know, she deals with her own kind of issues and things like that. And uh, I just, we never understood each other. I always kind of describe it like, um, you know, when my brother was born, that was okay for her, you know, it was like, oh, another boy, whatever. But then when I was born, it was like the nail in the coffin. What is she doing here? <laughs> you know? Exactly, exactly. Um, my sister was used to having all of the attention for eight and a half years and yeah. until my brother was born. And then um, I think there was just a lot of adjusting that she wasn't ready to do. Also, we all look very different. So I think my sister was like really confused, even though we have like the same parents. My sister um, is very light skinned, um, you know, with wavy hair. My brother is very dark skinned um, and I'm, you know, like a medium tone. And so it was just like, you know, there was just people were like, oh, do you guys have different parents? It's like, no, we all have the same parents, you know, uh. black families, just like, it's a lot. Um, yeah. So no, my sister didn't really have any influence. My mom had a lot of influence on me. Um, you know, I always say that my parents were like my first improv teachers, right? So when my mom would clean the house, she would have my brother and I, because we were so little, like follow her around the house. And she wanted us to play this game called, that she called opera. So um, she would just start basically wailing. My mom was a professional singer for a while, but she, oh. she wasn't trained uh, in the opera, but she would start pretending like she was singing opera. And then my brother and I would have to join in as like little ducklings and follow her around the house. But really she was just cleaning. Um, oh, that's <laughs> my adorable. Mom, yes. My mom did act activities like that all the time. Um, it was really funny. I remember my little cousins, my other uh, cousins that were about my same age would come over and my mom <laughs> wanted to like take out the garbage. And so my mom would tell my little cousins like that we were feeding the birds. And so she said, <laughs> 
that <laughs> she would get everything together and have everybody help get all the garbage together from around the house. And then we go out and we just like toss it into the, the can. And uh, my, I had a cousin that was like fascinated by this, but I didn't understand like, like how fascinated he was until the next time he came over. And he was like, Aunt Cheryl, can we feed the birds? And I was just like, and he's like two years older than me. And I, and I was probably like four or five at the time. I was just like, she's just trying to get us to do chores <laughs> for it. Like, I didn't say this out loud, but I was just like, you just asked to do chores, sir. Like, what is wrong with you? My That's mom funny. Literally, literally made everything so fun, you know, and for those suckers that weren't her kids, like, <laughs> like they, they, uh, they thought it was a real game. So that is so funny. So yeah. Were you interested in music? Your mother sang. Did you get interested in music and singing at an early age? Um, I think it was like more uh, like the air you breathe. That's what music was a little bit like for us as far as singing, um, not with instruments or anything like that. So was I interested in it? Yes, but it wasn't like a, it was just like, it was always there. Uh, my parents were actually <laughs> the first people in Milwaukee to really start um, karaoke. Uh, it was called the singing machine at the time. And they purchased a machine from a guy who I guess had come to town and, and was selling this idea of, you know, using eight tracks to put into this machine. And, you know, there were microphones and people would come and sing. And some of my earliest memories of like two, three years old are my mom staying up all night, typing up lyrics to songs and like just playing the songs over and over and, and typing out the lyrics so that people could sing the songs for karaoke. Um, wow. So yeah, music was just always there. Um, I did get interested in acting from watching Sesame Street. Um, I saw Savion Glover. I don't know if you know who that is. Um, he is a very famous tap dancer, but a very nichely uh, um, famous tap dancer. And he's amazing. Uh, and but for me, it was seeing a little brown person on television. Is he right, black? Right. Um, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, that's what I want to do. I want to be on television. And um, it was just such a great experience. Yeah. To see that and then to know almost immediately what I wanted to do. And so when did you start doing it? Were you in plays and in, in school? I was. I was in plays in school and a lot of things where I had, I wrote my own pieces and Brilliant. I was asked to do certain things. And uh, I remember in fifth grade, I did like this rap on, um, I think it was, um, I don't know if it was for Black History Month or if it was for, um, if it was for Martin Luther King Day, but we had a whole program and um, we put it together, there were two other girls, and we just like, we, we sang in these silk tops that were all different colors and these mini skirts. It was so silly um, and so fun, but I was just really proud of what I wrote and performed and I got to do that. And yeah, anytime there was like, uh, like even from the young age, like if they wanted kids to do the announcements, they would ask me to do them. Um, I was reading at an 11th grade reading level when I was in the fourth grade. So wow. uh, it was just, yeah, but my mom made it sure that we all knew how to read when we, by the time we were three years old. So, wow. um, yeah, so that's, yeah, I loved doing performances. And then as I got older, I, um, I did more theater. Um, I used to, I don't want to get too far ahead, but I, <laughs> I used to spend my summers um, and taking acting classes in New York when I was a teenager. Um, oh, where, where'd you take, where'd you study? At HB Studios. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's very impressive. <laughs> yes. My, my aunt had taken classes there and she loved it. And my aunt lived in New York. And from the time I was a kid, I wanted to live in New York. Um, and I also got interested in comedy pretty early as well. I remember my, we used to have these like major family gatherings. Um, and so one time we were just like sitting in our living room, there were probably 20, 30 people in there. And my younger aunt, my mom's baby sister, uh, cause my mom had eight siblings, but this was wow. the absolute last child. I was sitting on her lap and probably like four or five at this time and maybe a little bit older. And she was talking about all her plans. She was going to move to New York. She was going to live in, uh, on an Island for a year. Uh, you know, down near the, in the Caribbean. 
and then she's gonna move to New York and do this and do that and blah 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 she's saying all of her plans and then there was like this moment of silence after she was done talking and I said you're not gonna do anything and everyone erupted in laughter <laughs> I was addicted um, yeah that first laugh yeah <laughs> yes and I was very young and I remember it crystal clear and then I realized it was like I don't know it was just the, it just I was just told to say that in that moment and that's what I did and um I was like oh I like this I like this a lot uh yeah so now um what did your aunt end up doing she did move to New York and she did move to oh gosh she did move to an island uh for about a year I can't remember the name of this oh the she moved to the Virgin Islands for a year um and she she absolutely loved it and yeah, she, she lived in New Jersey. She lived in Bayonne. She lived in uh, Jersey City. So I would get to visit her when I was visiting my other aunt um, as a teenager too, which is really cool. That is cool. So going back a little bit now, do you, rem besides Sesame Street, did you like sitcoms or did you watch any, when you too young to watch the late shows, I suppose, but what, what were you liking, liking to watch? Um, so we loved the Cosby show every Thursday night in our house. It was, um, we would watch that. We would, it was our pizza night. So we would go to little Caesars pizza and get a pizza, get two pizzas, um, which totally ruined how much I thought like pizzas actually cost in the world. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> at the time it's like, you get two pizzas for the price of one or whatever. Right. And, um, so I thought that's how life was and that's not true in the real world uh and I learned that hard lesson later in life um so that was something that we watched together I can't really think of too many other shows I guess it's more about what our parents didn't allow us to watch and so one of the things that they strategically did was they didn't let us watch things that portrayed black people in a negative light mm -hmm. so we were never allowed to watch um like uh what is it the little uh the one with alfalfa or whatever it was like oh the uh, little rascals the little rascals or or anything i literally can't even like name these shows um as we got older because i was like a teen when um the tv show like martin came out and i was under able to understand that these were ignorant portrayals of black people right you know some of it was funny but it's like these aren't things that are you know they're not how black people are um and so it's like i love that my parents protected us from yes. certain images of ourselves you know to a certain age and then we were able to like make our own decisions instead of having those impressions upon us now i imagine you were something of a leader in high school am i correct tell me the activities you were in charge of michelle i was a leader i have a funny story about that really quick uh my cousin called me she called me bossy and I got so mad. I think I was 17 and, um, and I got so angry at her. I was angry at her for like years, but then I realized like her, what she meant was like, I'm a leader. <laughs> like, but she was saying it in a mean way. And she's like, you're so bossy, Michelle. But then like, I totally like got that like, oh, I'm just a leader and I do take charge. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but what was I in charge of like in high school? Like I mainly, I'm sure I did a lot of things. I can't remember right now, but like, May, I, I did the announcements um, every week, <clears throat> had my certain day, and I did that all four years. Um, I did the, so it was funny because a lot, some people would know my voice before they knew my face. <laughs> so if I was like talking in the hallway or something, they would like turn around like, oh, that's the girl. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, another cool thing um, about high school when I, when I came in was, um, I I already had people in upper classes that knew me because my brother was two two years older and my brother was an athlete and so um, girls that like came in as freshmen with me that had crushes on these junior guys and these junior guys are saying hi to me in the hallways they were like freaking out because they didn't realize <laughs> that my brother was friends with them already and I, so I'd known them since I'm a kid you know um, but uh, mainly comedy sports. When I uh, became the captain of the comedy sports team, which was my freshman year, but we didn't have a team that year. So I wait, a minute, no, wait a minute, go back a minute. Yeah. Who was teaching comedy sports and how did that get into your high school? That's awesome. 
So no one in particular was teaching it. We would actually go to Comedy Sports Milwaukee downtown on their yeah, yeah. location. Um, but what happened was I came into the theater program. Um, my high school, I don't know if a lot of high schools are like this, but you could major in something. Um, because we had the International Baccalaureate program or the IB program, and we had some AP classes as well. But like you could come out obviously with college credit and high school. And um, I chose my major as um, theater right as a freshman. So I knew which classes I needed to take and all of that. Um, I ended up with a double major uh, in theater and Spanish. Um, wow. <laughs> Muy bueno. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was super fun. Like, um, so I started doing scenes in my classes, <laughs> in my theater classes. And the theater director uh, noticed something about me, which was that I could give a great performance, but I didn't always know the lines. <laughs> I would know the gist. And, uh, and I still <laughs> give a very uh, convincing performance, right, even right. if those weren't the actual lines. And so he comes to me one day and he's like, I think you might be interested in this. He's like, it's called comedy sports. He's like, take this number, call down there, tell them who you are. Uh, tell them that, like, I guess all of the guys had graduated uh, the year before. Um, and so there was no active team. And um, he wanted me to be in charge of this. And he trusted me. And so uh, I, I called the number, which I did. And I went down. Uh, they offered me to come for me to come and see a free show. And I did. I still remember the first show that I saw. And I remember the thought that I had, which was, I don't know how they're doing that, but I'm going to learn. Um, I was immediately head over heels in love with with improv. Um, do you do you actually remember any of the games you saw that night? I don't remember. Anything, okay, okay. But I just remember the I remember the feeling, the action, the movement, yes. the. I remember the silliness, the 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 true silliness of it all, um, and the what felt like magic of it, right? Um, and it was a matinee show. It was three o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday, uh, and it was absolutely perfect in every way for me. So that's how I initially got involved. I had to wait for the following year to actually um, have auditions for a team. So that's what I did. I uh, had auditions because they were kind of like into their season already. Um, and so I couldn't join um, uh, at that point. So I held auditions uh, and I had I put a team together. We rehearsed twice a week for two hours. I was insane. <laughs> twice a week for two hours. Um, and but my team was just as dedicated to this as I was, which was really cool. I volunteered uh, at Comedy Sports until I was old enough to work there. Uh, so Dick Chudnow, who's actually the founder of Comedy Sports here, right, right, um, he let me do that. So I would at the time they would handwrite um, name tags, and so I would just sit there and like roll out three hundred name tags per show and just handwrite those. I'd usually come in during the week. And then when I was old enough to work there, he uh, gave me a job and I was. How old was that? How old was that? Um, I think when I turned, so I guess, yeah, I could get a work permit at 15. So I was 14 when I was introduced to it and I could get a work permit at 15 and work there. Um, and so, yeah, I did that. Uh, and so I was a ballet parker. That's what people usually start off as. Um, do you know what a ballet parker is? Uh-uh. What is it? <laughs> so you put on a tutu. <laughs> you, <laughs> you meet people at the entrance of the parking lot, and then you dance them to your to their space. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. And then I worked in the office uh, as a box office uh, person. And I was also a host. Um, and you would create a character when you were a host, um, which was really, really fun. And um, then you take people to their seats. Uh, yeah, it was it was really a huge part of my teenage life for sure. Uh, I loved it. Yes, and I also made um, I made everyone who worked there that was a player teach me every single game. Um, Dick gave me a list. There were hundreds of games, um, even games that they didn't play anymore. I made all my coaches teach me the games, um, and I. <laughs> 
I watched every single show that I possibly could because um, I could watch shows for free. Uh, right. There. And so the second my shift was over, even when I wasn't working, I would go and I would just watch, watch, watch. It was just like I just studied every single thing I possibly could. Um, and I loved it. Yeah. What a great education. Oh, my God. That's wonderful. And so when did they put you on stage? So we got to play every week, um, sometimes several times a week uh, as a in the as a teen. And then um, I would I was also in my teenage years in the, what was called the minor leagues. Uh, so I played with the adults as well in the minor league shows. And then there were the professional shows. So I also played in a few of the professional shows before I went off to college. And Eric Price, who's a teacher at Second City, um, was one of my very first coaches. I love telling everyone that, you know, out here in L.A. I also knew Dave Tooney, who a lot of people know as well. But he was never like my teacher or my coach, but he's just a very nice guy who I was in the minor leagues with for a little bit. Um, uh, Kurt Scholler is also out here from that uh, era of my life when I was a teenager. Uh, very successful uh, character actor as well. And um, it's so funny saying this also reminds me of one of my teachers. Um, he, we were sitting in the bar one night and we were just like, just chatting. And he said he was talking to this guy at a party and he said to him, he was like, you know, if you if you drop any more names, they're going to break. Uh, and <laughs> <at this> <laughs> no, 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 no worries. No worries. It's all beautiful. <laughs> I give credit to Dylan Bolin for that. I'll drop his name as well. But um, yeah, it was just a really cool thing, uh, part of my life. Another thing that happened in that uh, time period was I, um, I, the guys started doing stand up as well, and the who were there because they just wanted to do any kind of comedy that they wanted. And so they would do stand up um, at this place. Of course, I'm forgetting the name of it now, but it was like um, like a secret club. It wasn't really a secret club. You're supposed to know like a password to get in. I cannot believe this is escaping me. I'll remember it later. But anyway, um, so I would have, and that would happen on Thursday nights. And so I would have my mom, even though I was working already and I had my own car, my mom would have to come down <laughs> and it's about a 20 minute drive to go into the club with me because in Wisconsin, you can go to um, like a bar or club that's 21 and over if your parent is with you, right? Right, so, right. So um, my mom would drive downtown aww, aww. and go inside with me and then she would leave. <laughs> um, but just to get me in. And um, I remember one night, my mom was like super late and I was waiting on her and she hadn't like even left the house yet. I had, you know, a little cell phone for emergencies. And um, Tom Clark, who did a lot of comedy sports, he doesn't do as much like improv anymore. He does a lot of stand up with his wife now. Um, he was standing, he came up and he's like, oh, she's with me. And they knew the club people knew me well enough to know like there, I was just waiting for my mom. But I also, you know, they knew that I knew all the guys. So they just let me in with Tom Clark. And my mom actually didn't have to come anymore after that. So any of the guys could get me in. They're like this little, you know, 16 year old dork <laughs> coming to watch the comedy. She's no trouble. She's not drinking or anything. She's just a comedy nerd, you know? So it was just really cool. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So why did you decide to go to college? So I decided to go to college because that's what you do. <laughs> um, you know, I did well in high school, did well, you know, in middle school. And uh, so then you go to college and you major in theater and hopefully you get a good job but I switched my majors um I actually went into public relations uh instead of theater because I was like why would I get a degree in something that um I'm gonna do anyway so yeah did you go away to college or did you I did I went to Columbia College in Chicago oh okay it's pretty famous college yeah <laughs> yes and so the greatest thing for me about that school is that I, well, I I got a lot out of it actually. Um, but one of the biggest things was my, the improv team. And I also learned about long form at that point in my life. Um, I didn't know long form really existed. Uh, and so I was like, whoa, there is, you know, I can actually make a comedic play 
without these guardrails of right. you know the games and things like that. Like if we can just find the game together and keep playing that, hello. I was just like head over heels in love all over again. Now that's in Chicago, isn't it? It is, yep. So did you ever go to that well-known improv club in Chicago? You mean Second City? Yeah, that one. I never went to Second City. <laughs> I never went there for a show and I never went there for a class. Um, <clears throat> it's funny you say that. Um, I, my dad literally like begged me to go to Second City. And um, he's like, Michelle, this person has come out of there. That person, he's like, you're so great at improv. You should just do it. Um, my instincts, like everything inside of me said, do not go there. Um, and what was, what I was being told basically, or felt like would happen is I would get a 35 year old white man who, for my teacher who was probably an alcoholic, um, who was also angry at the world and himself that, uh, because he wasn't on SNL, um, and that person would probably try to break my spirit as a young black woman doing improv. And uh, I actually did uh, Jimmy Crane's podcast, The Improv Nerd. Mm -hmm. And um, he said, he was like, yeah, I did the math. That would have been me. <laughs> and it would have been him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, you know, um, I'm glad I listened to my instincts because I love yeah. improv too much to be, you know, and improv has broken my heart. And I've been disillusioned, you know, with people that I've absolutely loved and adored. You know, they say, don't meet your heroes, but I believe meet your heroes and find out that they're human. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but you know, I wasn't going to break my own heart by doing something that I knew I didn't need to do at that time. So none of the other theaters in Chicago, like, Oh, IO or annoyance. You didn't go to any of those. I would go to the midnight jam at IO. I would make my friends from the dorms who were, <laughs> this is funny. This is the only time in my life where, well, I, now it's different, but like, growing up where I had all black friends. So they were, I had all black friends in college, which was really cool. Um, and they were so silly. They would make fun of me. They were like, I didn't know there were black people in Wisconsin. And I'm just like, you did, you know, like we're 90 minutes away. You know? <laughs> like, But anyway, they like to say that, but so I would make, I would make a deal with them. So across from IO, there was a, um, a reggae club <laughs> that we were too young to get into, but they would let us in anyway. So if they, if I got them to go to the midnight jam with me for safety, so they would sit through stuff that they absolutely hated, but I would go up and play games to a packed house, you know, uh, at midnight every Saturday. And then we'd go across the street to the club that I didn't want to go to uh. to dance with dirty old men uh, who also bought us drinks. So that was nice, you know, and we didn't have to pay a cover either because uh, we would just talk our little pretty selves. In right, 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 right. And so, um, so yeah, so it was a good trade-off. My friends would go and watch uh, improv that they didn't want to see. And I would go to the club that I didn't want to go to. That's hysterical. Now, <laughs> now um, I don't know what time period we're talking about. Um, did you ever come across Jay Suko at that time in your life? I didn't. Um, one of the people that I came across, though, I don't know if you know her, but um, Kimmy Companic Warner. Um, she is on, on Instagram. She's yes. and princess. She was my, um, college improv coach. And I just absolutely adored her. She was, there was a scene, excuse me. Sorry. I have a little cold. Um, there was a scene that I was doing with one of, um, the other people on the team and, um, it was just he and I in the scene. And then he used the N word. So, and I was of course the only black person on the team and there wasn't, um, uh, he wasn't using the, the N word towards me, but he was just using it like in general. Right. And so the whole room, it was like the air got sucked out of it, of course. <laughs> and then the scene continued, we finished the scene. And then, um, afterwards though, we talked about it. Right. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I talk about things like, Improv teachers don't talk about things in the moment. They let them just pass through and there's some kind of harm that comes to someone in the room, um, usually from a, a group that's not as recognized, right? Right. Uh, and then if it's not addressed, we lose those people to improv or from improv, right? 
Right. Um, that's why we don't have a lot of black improvisers. That's one. There's harm done, and no one addresses it. No one knows how to address it. It's just uncomfortable, and then they leave. Right. So, so we addressed it, and um, she allowed for the space for that to happen. You know, and she was young as well. Like she and I are maybe like ten years apart in age, right? But for that, in the time period was um about 2000, 2001. Um, but for that to happen and people ask me questions, because sometimes there's an assumption that because you speak a certain way, because you come from a certain place that you have not experienced racism, which I think is crazy. Wrong. Yeah, exactly. that's crazy. <laughs> so that was one of the questions that was asked is, do I experience racism? And I responded, do you wake up in the morning? <laughs> air? Do you brush your teeth? Of course I experience racism, you know, every single day, every like people, you know, we call it implicit bias now, but like the fact that people write me off because of the color of my skin, you know, the fact that sometimes people can't hear what you're saying because of the color of your skin. Uh, I worked for skipping ahead quite a bit but like I worked for CarMax for a while and uh we we had this we had this uh thing that was called like the phone I forget what it's called but basically you help customers over the phone cold call, like a cold call maybe no not a cold no? call people, people would call in oh, okay um, it wasn't us calling out but like we're just walking people through the process gotcha gotcha and so I would, I was like one of the top people who uh, brought people in from the phones. It was like a 90% rate. It was nuts. And then um, when people came in, I also closed, right? But one of the most interesting things that would happen was when white customers came in, I often got, no, we're here for Michelle. <laughs> or... <laughs> um, mm just a, a immediate like standoffish nature because they felt wow. like I had, I had tricked them. Wow. Wow. What color I am on the phone. Right, right, right. right. And this is my voice. This is, you know, like there's no, you know, changing it. This is, you know, up for characters. I change it, but um, this is me. This is who I've been for a very long time. Um, and so, and then it was funny because, I would always see the differences in my customers. So black people would, they, you would see it on their faces as well. But then when we get into my office, they would say to me, you know, we thought you were white on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> like, it always happens. And then with, with Hispanic people, it was 50, 50. And then with my Asian customers, they never said anything. They just wanted their car and to get out of there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I know that they noticed and they, you know, but they didn't care. And I honestly love that so much. Um, and also like, but all of it was just like a social, ex you know, to me, a social experience, um, uh, just like, whatever, uh, sorry. Okay. So back to the N word in college. Um, so we had that conversation. And so I've always appreciated that she was able to give space and room yeah, for that conversation yeah. to happen. And also for people to understand, don't use that word. You know, that is not a word to be used in a space in general, but definitely not in a space of improv. Um, and also from a white person, if it's not for a, like a purpose, like a real purpose, and we're not doing dramatic improv, there's like, I do have like probably a very different philosophy than a lot of people about improv. I do feel like anything is possible. I feel like you can be racist, you can be sexist, you can be homophobic, you can be all of those things. However, you have to be able to justify it and use it as if it's very real you have to ground it right in the reality of the scene you have to be able to play it completely completely and utterly top of intelligence and let me tell you 99.9 percent .9 of improvisers cannot do that so you know don't do it <laughs> right exactly exactly well let's move into the discussion of being a black woman in improv with a lot of white boys um and uh what what that was like for you and maybe some did you have any heartbreak or struggles let's hear a little bit about that part too um, so was it so it was more on them to me than on me 
I have a, you've met me, you've known me for a couple of years. I have a ridiculous amount of confidence, right? And it's not like this false confidence or um, something that is like a put on. It's like there, it's instilled in me. Um, I'm very grateful and very appreciative of it, right? Um, but do I notice when people are discounting me because of the color of my skin, because I'm a woman, because I'm a woman of a certain size? Absolutely. But I know my skill, I know my talent, and I know who I am, you know, before and after improv, right? Um, so I've had experiences where, yes, of course, I've walked into a room, whether it's a physical room or a Zoom room, where people definitely have this, um, I can immediately feel it. I'm a very like instinctive person and improviser, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you get this feeling of, oh, are you here because you're black and a woman or because you're good, right? And like, I used to have, before like, before I uh, had my own business and company, I was pretty brutal. Like I already knew that I was going to improvise circles around everybody, right? I already knew that, right? But back when I didn't, I wasn't like representing my own brand, I would then probably like never speak to that person again or treat them like trash. You know, mm -hmm. if somebody mm -hmm. treated me really nasty when I came into a room, and, and basically like looked you up and down, you know, to be like, why are you here? You know, oh, we need diversity. And it was like, no, you needed talent. <laughs> 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 the diversity you're speaking of is talent, then you got it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, <laughs> and yes, I'm very proud to be in rooms and, and represent for women, for black people, because that is, I, those are things I can't change about myself. And those are things that I love about myself. Right. Um, but yeah, so heartbreak, um, more disappointment in other people, mm -hmm. you know, so it's not like my own heartbreak. It's more like, wow, I wanted you to be better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Trash. <laughs> <laughs> You're a trash human being. You know? yeah. Um, yeah. I can't really think of like, yeah, I guess it's like moments when it's been blatantly obvious. I just had this moment. I won't give too many details, but because it's a very specific person. But um, where I headlined a show a couple years ago and um, or a festival and um, I invited some people to play with me because that's kind of how it worked for this place. Um, and we had a great set. It was really, really amazing. Um, and then I ran into this person again um doing another improv thing not in LA and this we the show was killer okay um and this person is like a very has like a very big personality very mm -hmm. loud personality and they equate that with being a good improviser which is not the truth right right, right. Um, they're they're a decent improviser I won't take that away from them but like you're equating the wrong things whereas like you could be adding skills um and and not just like being loud right right um right. and so uh and they do a lot of other things really well so again i don't want to take that away from them but this person basically after our show again crushed crushed the show uh like beyond measure it's like one of the best shows that i had in the past year um and it was for her a very small crowd but anyway so after the show, this person comes up to me and was like, and again, they met me before and they played with me before. Um, they'd taken classes from me before. Um, they were like, wow. I Basically, they were like, I didn't know you were that good. And I was just like, what? What? So then it was like, I realized, and I had had this instinct about this person, but this person was like so nice that I like kind of discounted it a little bit. I was like, ah, oh, maybe I'm I'm just like overthinking here. I'd had this instinct about this person that this person thought that I was overrated, that I was only brought in. Yes, yes, yes. Because I was a woman, because of this, whatever. And I'm just like, you thought I was overrated. And I didn't say that to this person, but I did say, I was like, well, I'm glad you realize I'm not a shit improviser. And they just like lost their mind. They're like, no, I didn't think you were. <laughs> it was hard to see your skill when we played together at this thing or that thing. They were like backpedaling. Backpedaling. Yeah, backpedaling. Ooh. And they were just like.
like they told me all the things that they appreciated about like what I do and how I do it or what have you and I'm just like that's fine I was like I appreciate that um but yeah it's just like there's so much people have this filter you know they feel like because George Floyd died like all these black improvisers are just coming out of the woodworks no we were here here yeah 27 years you just haven't listened and you haven't seen me and it's been impossible for you to see me before this time yeah that is kind of sad isn't it oh i think that's my meditation bell ringing om shanti shanti om um so now you're still living in Milwaukee for a while, or you're in Chicago, you went to Columbus. Did you go yeah. back to Milwaukee or where was your next geographic? I did. I went back to Milwaukee for a little bit. Um, and then I was in Milwaukee for several years. And were you um, doing any acting? I know you've got some film credits. Were you? No, I wasn't doing too much at that time. Um, gosh, I was just working um, after school and yeah i had i had an agent in milwaukee but they didn't get me a lot of work um they got me things here and there mainly like promo modeling type of thing um which was really fun and paid really well um but i didn't get um a lot of work from that so i worked um, some traditional jobs and then i started a business uh i did a business where i sold a product that i developed called missy's magic which was primarily a jewelry cleaner um and i did it at trade shows all around the country and i ran my own business for eight years wow wow miss entrepreneur (laughs) (laughs) and that was really fun because every single thing that i taught my salespeople was rooted in um improv right so i never stopped doing improv even though i stopped doing improv right um and it was just a great feeling to be able to build and create that and then also pass on those skills to um, the people that work for me. What happened to that company and that product? It just wasn't viable anymore. Um, And so I stopped selling it. I stopped producing it. And I got a job, my first real job, um, at 30 years old. (laughs) And that was at CarMax. And I was there for about five years. Wow. So how did you get to La La Land? (laughs) I'd I'd wanted to come here for quite some time actually Um, and I just hadn't really made it a reality yet and then one day I after like after the height of the pandemic I loved everything that I was doing it was sustainable and uh, I was like if I am still just doing everything that I'm doing online as well as the the work that I'm getting you know offline I would be fine living in LA. And so I made the move. (laughs) Uh, And I said, you know, I can do everything that I'm still doing. And, you know, be able to sustain myself, for the most part, (laughs) and uh, be able to be closer to the studios and opportunities as they come up. So that's how I got here. And uh, but more specifically, my dad and I drove for four and a half days <laughs> and it was really fun and just a really great experience. And I just told my dad during that trip, I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get married. I was like, but this is the equivalent of you walking me down the aisle. Oh, oh, I love that. So when did you come to LA? I came in December of 2021. So we were already in the pandemic for a while when yeah. you came out here and, and you do have some movie credits, I think, don't you? I have uh, a couple of movie credits. One is from when I was in Boston and one is from being here uh, above the clouds. It was just an incredible experience to be a part of. Um, it's like a, this guy's love story to his father who had passed away um, and it's really beautiful. If you get the chance to see it, you should see okay. it. I'm Above the in, clouds. Yeah, I'm only in like 32 seconds of it, but it's, and it's a feature Well, I'll, film. I'll keep rewinding it every time I see you. Like, there she is, there she is, there she is. <laughs> after the, the, the uh, premiere that I was able to make, this woman comes up to me afterwards and she says, 
I didn't, wasn't clear on who she was, but um, I found out she was the director who I did know his, uh, his wife. And she's like, she's like, he just kept rewinding. She's like, you were the funniest, your reactions. He kept rewinding and showing me like, he wanted to use like more of you, but he couldn't. And then he came up at a separate time and told me the same thing. And it was just really, really validating. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> bet it really was. Cool. Yeah. That's fantastic. Cause a good improviser is a good actor. Yeah, I think so. I totally think so. Um, and uh, that's because I'm a great actor. Yes, you are. But I couldn't learn those lines, and that's why improv became my gig. <laughs> <laughs> we are birds of a feather. <laughs> so you came out to California, and uh, had you been teaching improv in Milwaukee before you came out? Um, when the pandemic, I had been teaching, um, but then the pandemic hit. Uh, and so I wasn't teaching right away. And then I started, I started just like a, a, com a community thing at night, uh, every eight, at 8, 8 PM, every single night, because I was kind of concerned about people in my community. Some people had just moved on their own. Um, and then, excuse me, so sorry. Uh, and then there was a lockdown and I was like, oh, you know, I'm concerned for the mental health of some people. Like I always have a great, you know, support system, but not everybody always has that. Um, and so we just like would talk, um, we would laugh, we would have meals together. Um, we would, you know, have a drink if we wanted, just like hang out, um, every single night until people were exhausted and went to bed. Uh, cool. and then I started teaching. I actually took a class. I saw that Will Hines was putting up classes and I was like, oh, this is weird. Um, so I took a class <laughs> from Will. I don't even remember how I found out about it. It was pretty wild. In Milwaukee. No, 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 not. Oh, and oh, oh, you're in LA now. Online, online. Okay, online. okay. Yeah, um, but yeah, in Milwaukee. So I didn't start teaching right away. I was actually going to open up my own theater. Um, yeah. Just a few days, I had secured uh, the location and everything, and um, then the pandemic hit. So I think March seventh is when I went to find the space, and. Uh, solidified everything and then the world shut down yeah so, yeah but I had been teaching for another theater um that had become a bit problematic um and so I was like eh, it's time to fly out on my own so you take a is that the first time you met the greatest improviser in the world Will Hines no I had met him in New York uh a couple of years or a few years beforehand um and uh yeah i met him in new york and that was that was that yeah now you often teach at will's school i, I do i'm like one of the original <laughs> original teachers there um which is really fun and uh so i teach there and i teach other places and i teach for myself which is really fun and because I have personal experience, you're a great teacher, a great coach, and I love your classes. They're very warm and they're very validating. And because um, I've taken classes with so-called great improvisers and it's a lot of no or do it this way. Um, but I'm not complaining about that. So you get to L.A. and I have to quote my friend, our mutual friend, uh, Jay Succo, who said, you know, that you totally get it. Very talented, super fun to play with. And it's been a bright spot for him when you met during the pandemic and reason why Im online improv is so great. Michelle Gilliam. Wow. <laughs> I love Jay. Yes. Our mutual friend Jay. I actually met Jay through Will. Um, Jay is absolutely amazing. He has been like everything he said about me is what I feel about him as well. Um, the second that so we met maybe like 20 or 30 seconds before we did our first 10 minutes together. And um, it was just mind boggling. Like instantly we were like, oh, 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 this person, they can improvise and they're fun and they're not trying to prove something. They're literally just trying to play. Um, and I just, yeah, it was absolute improv love immediately with Jessica. Yeah, he's he changed my world. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also just to like speak to more of his character, right? So when I first moved here, I had like my experience with probably my first panic attack. Um, and I reached out 
to Jay. Oh gosh, don't make me don't cry, Michelle. But um, Jay, like he said, Michelle, you know, you are you moved across the country. You know, you are you're in a totally brand new city. You are um, away from your family, and they're not like in a close distance where they can just get here. He's like, you've done, and he named a few other things that I had done, and um, he's just like, Michelle, that would send anybody into a place. He's just like, know that you are in the right place at the right time. You are loved, you're cared for, and he just like said all the right things to help bring me back to, you know, reality of my life and just how incredibly blessed and um, beautiful my life is. Uh, Cause sometimes we forget that in moments of those panics, you know, right. Just really right. Appreciated that. And yeah. It, go, yeah. Go ahead. Go I was going to say, if he, if he wasn't an improv teacher, he'd be a great therapist. Yeah. And, and I mean, he's been my coach since over three years now and we meet on a pretty, you know, regular basis and he's kind of like my improv therapist um when i'm feeling insecure when i'm beating up on myself for any reason and he always seems to know what to say he's just a gifted human being and feel blessed that he's in my life but we don't want to spend too much time talking about jay because if he when he listens to this he'll think we just talk about him but he's special i mean he's really special very special. So let's go more into the present about what you're doing now. And we talked uh, before we started the uh, podcast, we were talking about you teaching kids. Tell me more about that. Yeah, I teach for John DeKino's Actors Workshop here in LA. Um, it's actually all online and my kids are all over the world, um, which is really wow. <laughs> and these kids are absolutely amazing. Um, many of them are very, very serious about acting and they're on um, shows right now. Um, cool. Yeah, yeah, they have booked more than I have ever booked in my life. Uh. <laughs> if I book half as much as these kids one day, I, I'll be very blessed. Um, I'm already very blessed. But uh, yeah, they're just absolutely so hilarious and so funny. And they, they catch it so quickly. But then some of them that are very, very serious, you know, you're literally like reteaching kids how to play. Um, yeah, yeah. Instances because they do have sometimes a lot of pressure on themselves. Um, but I love their parents as well. Like their parents are very supportive. Um, sometimes people who have read, uh, gosh, I can't remember her name, but she was a child actor and just wrote that book. I don't know if you read it. Um, it wasn't Brooke Shield, was it? No, no not Brooke Shields. But oh, gosh, I can't remember her name either. Anyway, it was a great book. But it oh, was the, like, one of the Brady Bunch. No, she oh. was on like a Nickelodeon show. Oh, okay. I didn't know her at the time, but um, she just like blew everyone away. Uh, the name of her book is I'm Glad My Mom Died. Um, and Jeanette, Jeanette, I can't call her last name. Anyway, most people, a lot of people have read this book. It's so good. Um, and then they like, when I say I teach child actors people are like oh this, the horrors but John DeKino who owns the school does a really great job of keeping the parents involved and also we have a system where if we like notice any kind of odd behavior we talk about it we say okay is this what's going on in this household you know um, just making sure that the kids aren't being pushed too much um, and things like that and they're just they're absolutely wonderful a lot of my kids the second I was announced on um, Instagram uh, from the school, they like started following me, which is pretty funny to me. Um, and so now I have my kids and now a lot more are following me because <laughs> we do Camp Hollywood every year. Oh, and nice. But what's Camp Hollywood? And but, uh, by the way, it was Jeanette McCurdy. Jeanette McCurdy. Yes, she's amazing. Uh, read the book if you haven't. Okay. Um, and uh, Camp Hollywood is where they come from all over the world and they make their own movies. <gasps> um, that have been written some by them some by uh some of us on staff and they get to film them for the whole for like a week or two weeks wonderful oh yeah so they get imdb credit so the school is very smart in how they structure things for kids who are both booking and kids who are not booking getting those credits getting those reels getting those um coaching sessions in yeah wow that's beautiful and what else are you teaching right now 
Um, so right now I'm not teaching a whole lot. Um, just when people are asking, I'm uh, directing an ensemble at the Ledge Theater that I'm on the board on. Uh, oh, guys. nice. Yeah, Sean Landry. Yeah, Sean Landry, uh-huh. And um, I'm, when people, I do some, you know, private coaching for teams and for individuals. Um, but yeah, I haven't uh, put up new classes yet at my school, but I will. Well, you're doing also, a lot. Yeah, and I teach at, at Will's school as well from time to time, yeah. So Will's kind of got a really different personality than you. Yes. Can I say that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very different. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's quirky, very quirky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's great. Great person. So if people want to get in touch with you, how can I post this on my piece that's going to accompany our podcast? Yeah. So they can follow me on Instagram. Uh, that's uh, at Missy, M-I-S-S-Y, and then G, and then L-I-L-Q, and a T. Missy G, little cutie. Um, uh, Missy is actually my nickname from my family, so it's kind of funny. Uh, M-I-S-S-Y. And then a G, and then an L-I-L, and then a Q, and a T. I can write it for you, too. Okay, good. Okay, because I'd like to include that, and I'll have to start following that as well if I'm not. Um, and that's a nickname for you, Missy? Yeah, that's what my family calls me. Um, and I named my product uh, Missy's Magic. And yeah. And be like, who's Missy? And then be like, I'm Missy. And then people with my customers would call me Missy. And I didn't realize, like, how jarring that would be um, because only my family calls me Missy. <laughs> so it's just, like, really weird. Who are you um, talking to? Where's Missy? I'm like, Who is this person? It's like you feel naked. I'm like, who are these people? Um, and I named my product, so I, I did it on myself. Um, where else can people find me? I'm on Facebook, Michelle J. Gilliam. Um, yeah, I'm on all the socials. And I've got your TikTok. website. Part, yeah, and I'm, I'm on TikTok. And I'm on you're are you on TikTok? I'm on TikTok. I am. I don't do anything on there. I should start, but yeah. Yeah, I haven't I haven't quite figured out how to navigate all those effects. So I just do characters on TikTok and I love it. that makes me happy. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. Really happy. Um this has been such a delight. I mean, we could talk forever. In fact, I might have to make this a two-parter. Uh <laughs> No, no, no sorries. There's a sorry wall. Forget about it. Yeah. No sorries here. It's just your delight. And I, I um, would love to see you come to Florida one of these days. That would be nice because going to California is a big trip. Um, did you ever live in New York? I did not. I always thought that I would. I, from a kid, from the time I was a kid, I asked my mom if I could move to New York when I turned, uh, when I turned 14 to go to high school, I wanted to go to New York. And she said, yes, I think I was like seven at the time. And then I asked her again and she was like, no, Michelle. And I was like, you said I could. Uh, yeah, but I got to spend my, again, as a consolation prize, I got to spend my summers there every summer. And take oh, an HP studio. What a gift that was. Yeah, yeah. I've, and I would go to Broadway shows all the time. Yes. Off Broadway shows, my aunt um would set it up so I would usher for the theaters or she taught me how to call theaters so I could usher and see the show for free um it was absolutely amazing I saw so many great shows do you remember any of the shows that really stuck out in your mind gosh I don't remember the name of it but I remember seeing Bryce Howard in a show and um this is before she blew up and I was like this is absolutely amazing and then I was like oh the girl's everywhere now um in an off-Broadway show and it's just like so cool yeah. yeah, I lived in Manhattan for a while, and, and uh, I think before you were born, but um, the years I lived in Manhattan, I got to see some wonderful things. I saw the original Best Little Whorehouse in Texas at Joseph Papp Theater downtown, and, you know, seeing things off off Broadway was marvelous. So, um, yeah, I'm going to... The... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I got to see The Lion King when it first came out. Wow. I got to see uh, The Color Purple with Fantasia in it, just... So many wow. Yeah. Wow. Have you seen the movie? I have. I saw it on Christmas Day. And what'd you think? I liked it. I've never seen the full original. I'd only seen the um the musical version all the way through several times. So I wasn't as jarred as a lot of people that I see posting online. Right. They're like, 
I didn't know it was a musical. And it's just like, who cares? Like, it's an adaptation right. of creativity. Right. <laughs> you know? Oh, such a, no, I haven't seen the new one yet, but the old one, um, such a beautiful movie. And uh, Whoopi Goldberg and uh, oh, what's her name? That billionaire TV show. Oh, the Oprah. <laughs> um, but it, a remarkable experience. But what do you want to do? In the next year or so, what do you have any goals? I, you've been to Europe a lot too, haven't you? You've been to Edinburgh and England, yeah, and Edinburgh, Liverpool, London, um, Glasgow, Oslo, Copenhagen, um, a few other places. Yeah. Um, what is the next thing that I want to do? Uh, so I'm, I'm, I want to. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I want some television and some movie, more movie credits. That's what I want. <laughs> I, well, I support you. Just tell him Margot says to give you the role, okay? Well, yeah, because I, I carry such big weight in Hollywood, you know, now, now that I've been there. Um, <laughs> I've seen, I, I, I've seen. I love, L, I love L.A. so much. Would you ever live anyplace else right now, Michelle? No, not right now, not at all. I mean, no. I, would, I, would, I would be like, I would live between New York and L.A., you know, um, is if a job, you know, supported that an acting role. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wish you the best and I know I'll be seeing you soon. And do you have anything that you'd like to say to perhaps a young black woman thinking about doing improv today? I didn't mean to put the color in, but maybe specifically that, yeah. that person. Yeah. I've got your back. Thank you, Michelle. Yeah. That's Thank just you. beautiful. All right. Well, we'll be signing off. But um, thank you so much for your time. You're just a bright light out there. And I'm so glad to call you a friend. Yes. Thank you, Margo. I feel the same. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and look forward to you joining us next time on Improv Interviews with Margot Escott.